0: Welcome back to Fired Up with Anna and Bijou. This is
1: our second episode. Woo! It's exciting. I'm Anna. And I'm Bijou. So this is our show about climate change, um, where we talk about climate change through a social justice lens. Each episode, we're going to be taking a deep dive into a specific topic regarding climate change and uh, dissect it from scientific and political lens. So our goal here is not to recite facts or to solve any of the world's problems, but instead our goal is to look deep into the nuances of each issue and ask some questions that can prompt you, the listener, to have similar conversations with your friends and family.
0: The theme of this episode is birth. It's supposed to be vague and a little confusing, but we'll be discussing and deconstructing how birth relates to climate change.
1: And as we'll show you today, they happen to overlap quite a bit. So we'll be diving into the topic of climate change and climate justice through the abstract lens of birth.
0: Before we dive into this topic, we'd like to begin this episode by recognizing the Indigenous people who have lived and are still living in sacred relationship with the land. We recognize that there are over 380 tribal affiliations living within the city of Portland. Our podcast team is committing to this work for a just and equitable future. We want to keep those held in minorities due to existing power structures in our hearts and minds while we speak to sensitive topics. In order to truly stop the worst effects of the climate
1: crisis, we must be actively
0: decolonizing ourselves and our approaches to this work.
1: So throughout this episode, we're going to analyze the patriarchy, sexism, and how these isms relate and interact with climate change. And while we're discussing these issues, especially in this episode, we're going to be using the term women, Uh, but we did want to acknowledge that the gender binary is a social construct and that more than two genders exist. And we want to recognize that as we're talking about women's relationship with the earth and how it's viewed through our societies. So before we dive into it, Bijou, how are you doing this week?
0: i'm doing good it was christmas so yes that we're comes recording with. a few
1: days after christmas yeah 2019
0: it was uh it was good saw a lot of family met people i don't know it was, it was a good time that's a good. bad response <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean it's a time to reflect on the new year i think which is always a good thing
0: mm-hmm. it's um, definitely important but you know pros and cons for sure what
1: about you how's your week it was I. Right. it was pretty good um the holidays always bring up a lot of feelings, but um, it was really nice to see my family. So that's good. And um, yeah, it's been a little bit of a relaxing week. I feel like I've stayed out of looking at as much what's going on in politics. I feel like there's less going on a little bit in general. So that's good. Um, Anytime I do look at the news, there's a lot that makes me sad so yeah definitely it's nice have to, sometimes to decompress
0: yeah it's nice to give yourself a mental break um yeah. yeah I feel like everyone's just taking the holiday off especially after the impeachment
1: of course at the same time I can't and so I just talk to my mom and my sister about everything <laughs> and talk <laughs> really aggressively about politics with them and they're like yes yeah, okay Anna we know <laughs> and it's a great time for everyone <laughs> So that was fun. Yeah. 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 Family. (laughs) Family. Um, Okay. So, birth. We are super excited to record this episode. We've been talking about this topic and how it relates to climate change for a while now, and I'm just so excited to be here talking about it with you.
0: Yeah. When we kind of thought about these more abstract concepts, we both got really excited about it and really just um, think there's a lot to be done here, and it gives us a little bit more creative freedom as well. Yeah.
1: We're just going to riff. Um, But first, I think BG wanted to dive into some facts about birth and population and how that relates to climate change and sustainability.
0: Yeah. So over their lifetime, each American born in the 1990s will produce an average of 3.1 million pounds of CO2, uh, 16,372 pounds of yard waste, 7,249 pounds of food waste. They will eat... Uh, about 1,600 chickens, 74 turkeys, 25 pigs, 11 cows, 2 sheep, and 18,000 eggs.
1: Who's eating sheep?
0: Mutton man. Oh, and lamb. And lamb. Boo. Yeah, that's a big one.
1: So I'm vegetarian. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> lamb makes me sad. Humble bag. Humble brag. No, it just makes me sad. No, it
0: is. Uh, in... 2005, Pope Benedict called for tax incentives for large families. Last fall, he vowed to recreate a strong alliance between man and earth. Hmm. So, That's yeah, there's well. just like some, some weird, some weird things happening, and it, it also goes into how. Okay, so this is just fun. We don't have to put this in here, but I just want you guys to hear this. Um, celebrity babies for fun and profit. So it lists who's baby pics were taken the amount paid for those publications and how much that could have gone to like sponsor kids in need so for example nicole richie one million dollars paid take,
1: that's how much she paid to take a picture of her baby
0: or someone paid her to for take a, a photo picture. of her baby yeah enough Holy to sponsor twenty nine thousand save the children uh, kids for a year
1: oh god i that's depressing
0: brad and angelina pitt Seven point six million.
1: It's so crazy. They got paid that. Yeah.
0: What? Yeah. That's gross. Oh, says gave some of it to charity, but won't say how much. Oh, (laughs) thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Oh, that's funny. Tom Cruise, Katie Holmes, zero (laughs) dollars. Huh. That's a whole thing. Um, I just wanted to like (laughs) throw that out there. That doesn't have to be
1: a thing. But I think it's pretty funny. It's all good. Well, that's really interesting. Those are some good facts. I feel like it really puts into perspective um, when we're talking about the sustainability of having a child, you know, what the impact of our lives are. But then also if we choose to have a child, what that impact is on the earth. Yeah, I think
0: it's super important to recognize that having children – affects the entire world and there's this kind of animal instinct to just have children because that's what our brains tell us to do but they have real consequences as do most of our animal instincts just generally i think uh, that's what we want to go dive into
1: yeah so the podcast team did the global footprint networks how many earths challenge quiz thing yeah um and what this is kind of asking is it goes through a series of questions based on what kind of food you eat where you live do you have electricity how much do you drive how do you get places um etc and basically calculates how many earths it would take to sustain the world if everyone lived like you Mm -hmm. and of course as americans we um are the most have the highest global footprint in general and on average. And so it's pretty always, you know, shocking to learn about this.
0: Even um, as people who try and live
1: sustainably
0: and conscientiously, just how much we still are unsustainable
1: ultimately. Oh, yeah. There's a question in there that says, do you have access to electricity? And I just kind of took a second and paused and I was like, wow, some people. And it like it's 1.2 billion, I believe people in the world don't have access to electricity so yeah yeah things i don't ever ever have never ever had to think about right yeah most people in america have never had to think about that so quite interesting um so all of us did the quiz and basically there's two ways it will measure it uh i'll tell you how many earths you know in quotation the world would need to to live and then also um what's the date thing it's so then it provides your overshoot
0: day so you use all of your yearly resources by that day so say you or wait what do you mean i think so i think it's if everyone lived like you so like my personal overshoot day is may 9th so if i was given or yeah if i was given resources for that entire year i would use them all up by may 9th
1: kind of thing i'm gonna look this up really quick okay because the global overshoot day is July 27th. hmm So what does that mean? The global one.
0: I think that we use all of our yearly resources by July 27th. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Earth overshoot day was July 29th. On that day, humanity exhausted the biological resources our planet can renew this whole year. My My overshoot day was April 27th which is my mom's birthday oh <laughs> yay mom yay. shout out
0: <laughs> thanks for having me um, <laughs> as we talk about birth uh my globes it, were 2.8 so if everyone lived like me we would need 2.8 globes to sustain us yeah mine was 2.9 so do you remember what yours was i don't know okay so well, I think you were pretty close to Anna, honestly, yeah. from what I remember.
1: Well, I recalculated mine. I think mine was less than yours. And then I went back and realized that I actually fly more than I thought. Yeah. Um, the which is a big impact, really I mean. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So um, this kind of leads us into the next thing we wanted to talk about when we're talking about birth and climate change, which is overpopulation. And when Biju and I were discussing this, Originally, we realized we had differing opinions on is overpopulation really an issue or is resource allocation or misallocation actually the real issue. And so we wanted to kind of dive into that a little further and talk about our own opinions on overpopulation. So, I mean, I watched a couple of YouTube videos because that's how I do most of my research.
0: Uh, but it's this video by, I'm going to say it wrong, Kurtz Kazat.
1: Kurtz
0: Kazat. Yeah. German. Yeah. German. Um, but they did a really great job at breaking down population growth and um kind of the concept of overpopulation. And that what we're seeing now with this like huge growth in population is just other countries who are becoming first world countries going through the same process that we went through just well, we being Americans went through um centuries ago. And I think it's a really fascinating concept of um, kind of villainizing third world countries and saying like you're the problem why do you keep having children even though we went through the same process just hundreds of years ago but just because we had those countries colonized and we left them in you know pretty shitty condition um, they are just catching up but we're villainizing the effects of that so, so they the video broke down population growth into four different steps. Ultimately, the first step is high birth rates, but few survive, and that's why you have so many kids. It's because you know there aren't <laughs> there's some that aren't going to make it. Um, and then that transition to the second step is usually when the industrial revolution happens, and then you have this explosive growth because you have uh, better food, better hygiene, uh, medication meaning less people die early on so people are still having a lot of kids but they haven't realized that like they're all gonna make it and then the third stage is a slowdown because people realize like oh i don't need to kind of compensate um and then the fourth stage is balance of
1: deaths and births which is what you know most of what we consider first
0: world countries are in
1: something else that that video talked about was the idea that um like the united kingdom went through that process those four steps I think it was in 84 years, whereas Bangladesh, which is a more recently developed country, went through that process in 20 years. And I'm talking about um, like having birth rates go from like six kids to two kids, which mm-hmm. is a more sustainable rate. Mm-hmm. And it's going down as more countries become more developed, um, which I think is really fascinating. The idea that these countries are having like this are going through this process much more quickly because of globalization um, and that gives some hope i think for stabilized global population rates because i think when pe- people talk about overpopulation they think of it as like a exponential growth and there's no way it will be um my personal worry is what are the going to be you know what are the consequences we're already facing because of high population rates what will we continue to face um there's a lot of information out there it seemed like on when population will stabilize, but it seems like the, you know, smart scientific analysis are saying that within the end of the century the population of the earth will stabilize to ten or eleven billion. Mm -hmm. Um which is obviously a lot. I also am very skeptical about the way the world will look in a century. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, or in eighty years. Um because of climate change. Will we, you know, will we hit a tipping point before that in other ways? So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think that's it's a weird kind of feedback loop because we do, we get to this point, so we keep having kids, and then those kids affect, or just the population in general affects the globe, and then the globe gets worse, and then but people keep having kids. So I guess it's not a feedback loop. It's just this spiral into a burning world, and that's kind of, it's hard to... Like, deal with honestly, Mm -hmm. because I mean, you can't, and we can get into this, but regulating people's bodies to stop having kids or telling people to stop having kids is like you can have your thoughts on it, but my personal thoughts are like my body, my choice kind of situation. You just have to have people be educated enough to make good decisions, and I think that's that was another video that I watched. It's the same YouTuber, but it was in relation to Africa, and um, a lot of studies even before say that you know education and um, access to contraception are some of the biggest things that you can do to help reduce pop- uh, birth rates. Oh,
1: yeah, which I think we're going to dive into yeah soon, too. But I did want to kind of pose this question again on, is overpopulation an issue? Um, we can kind of respond to that, but my hot take that I can go <laughs> off on is um, it's not the singular issue that it's presented as. Um, so I was coming into this recording as with the stance that we don't actually have a overpopulation problem, we have a resource allocation problem. But I'm realizing I actually don't agree with that statement anymore, necessarily word for word. Um, However, I do think that in the Western world, in the rich world, we focus a lot on overpopulation because if we are somehow able to magically reduce the population size in our lifetime, we can all continue to live like in the way that we are living um, and not take necessarily responsibility for our high-carbon lifestyles. Um, But yeah, of course, there's too many people on the planet, um, even people... Living within developing countries um, in certain cases, um, except for really developing countries, are actually using more than their technical fair share or using more, like, living in ways maybe that are still hurting the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think it's really dangerous and really easy argument to say that reducing population size is going to solve all of our problems. Right. And I feel like that's presented a lot in this, like, leftist, maybe more moderate, environmental viewpoint Um, because like I don't know and I guess this is me being a little pessimistic but just like how in any short time are we actually going to be reducing population size fast enough for it to matter
0: right yeah because I mean a lot of the predictions of I mean we've already gone past the turning point for the most part but definitely by 2050 we'll be pretty much you know tunnel vision headed straight for doomsday kind of situation and we're not going to reduce populations by that much in what 30 years
1: Which i mean crazy. the ipcc says we have 10 years we have till 2030 to have drastic social economic changes and right. if we're just looking at population decrease as a solution like there's no way that's going to happen no. unless there's like awful awful unethical solutions that are taken right
0: so yeah. it has to be uh societal changes it has to be
1: everyday changes it's i crazy. mean not even though i feel like it has to be policy like not to just throw that policy thing in there so but i don't i person. mean I think, that, <laughs> I think that like i mean if we're talking about it through a policy perspective at this point we're talking about the green new deal which isn't necessarily any one thing at this moment but it's gonna have to be a complete i think it's gonna have to be a complete shift in everyone's lifestyle yeah and that's where i get really sad because i don't know if people are prepared to make those sacrifices that we're gonna have to make i i I have hope and i want to have that radical hope but it just it can be very overwhelming right
0: especially because there are still people who deny climate change just generally exactly so why yeah i mean i i know that population is dwindling but it's still people who say like our government yeah like it's not happening don't worry about it nothing's wrong so depressing yeah
1: oh yeah
0: um i came at this podcast concept this podcast topic with the idea that overpopulation is truly an issue and like it is the number of people not resource allocation and like obviously it is resource allocation to a certain degree but um i think i was like probably 80-20, 20% 20 resource allocation, 80% population um, issues, and like just the number of people. But I, similarly to Anna, kind of leaned more to the more moderate side of that, where after doing my research, I think that there will be a balancing of the scales. I don't think it's going to happen in enough time. But say for some reason climate change just stopped happening that we would ultimately plateau and uh, kind of figure it out. Because I do believe in science and technology and I do believe in the power of science and technology to better our lives. But it's just whether or not it will happen in enough time. What do you mean
1: by that? I mean that i'm talking about the science and technology aspect and specifically i think that with
0: better science and technology you can have better renewable resources you can have um so i was at the gas station in north Coos bay like pretty much the middle of nowhere oregon coast and they were selling biodiesel which is algae biofuels
1: like, for your car,
0: yeah. At what the did you do? Way. It is it cheap? Uh, I I didn't check the price. My, it was my mom's car, so yeah. I didn't really have a say in that one. Um, but I was I had to make sure that it was like what I thought it was. I'm like that is too progressive for <laughs> where, where so we're cool. at right now. So I think I think it can happen. I think you can have um ethical fuel sources. I think you can have a change in thinking um over an entire society. I just don't think it's gonna happen quick enough how do you feel about nuclear
1: we're really gonna go off on a ooh, tangent
0: now Ooh, okay i you know i'm torn i'm torn on I'm nuclear so torn. i think it's from a completely like scientific black and white standpoint i think it's a great idea if i take all of like my humanity out of it i think it's great and we should do it for sure for everything um understanding the consequences of what has happened in the past and uh, understanding that people don't want that uh, to be a part of their community. I also recognize and is completely valid and can be a very scary concept. I know there's a nuclear reactor at my college and it's run by like the students for some of it. And there are definitely people who are like, I don't feel comfortable with that and they don't live near it because it really it's not scary because I mean there's so many horror stories around it
1: yeah well and I feel like my fear around nuclear too is that those horror stories again it's just an environmental justice issue too where marginalized communities are the ones that are forced to live around and yeah work in these areas
0: yeah and where you bury the remnants of whatever where it takes a million years to decay they'll be living on top of that land which will pollute the water sources and yeah
1: yeah it seems to me like it could be a good transition to renewables like in the meantime and i want to i think it should be explored more but with a justice mindset which i just don't trust in our government at this moment to potentially do that but um i think it does get a bad rap because of well-publicized disasters yeah because we see fossil fuel disasters happen plenty and they're not negatively publicized in that way like coal trains exploding or oil you know spilling into the ocean or even
0: fracking in the areas i remember i watched a movie uh about oil fracking and the oil would get into the water and you could literally just light the water on fire. Like it's
1: just, oh, it's, so bad. it's so bad. How are you supposed to drink that? How are you supposed to survive? It's water. And then I feel like the argument against it is like, well, you know, it's a means to an end. Like we need energy. And it's like, it's very interesting how that isn't necessarily brought up in mainstream talking about nuclear. Yeah. But I, totally I would love agree. to dive deeper into nuclear at another point. I just want to know more about it. Like do some yeah, research. On I definitely it, need I to do my research. Really interesting. More. Um, so let's redirect and talk about how, when we're talking about overpopulation, that naturally leads us into the discussion of population control. Um, so I did some research on this. Um, obviously, the the biggest, um, you know, example that's most widely known of government population control was in China. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if y'all knew this, but uh, the one-child policy went into effect in 1980, and it didn't actually end in, officially until 2016 so that's very recent that's a long time um some quick facts on the effects of china's one child policy the fertility rate decreased after 1980 as well as the birth rate um the death the, the difference between the birth rate and the death rate also declined um the chinese government estimated that some 400 million births were prevented but this is very disputed findings um the a wide issue that was discussed during and after this policy went into effect was the fact that um, just because of Chinese culture and history, uh, sons were generally preferred over daughters. So the sex ratio um, became very skewed towards males, which is impacting society today. Well, what's crazy, and this is just a little tangent, is that technically
0: it should have been 50-50 skewed. Or like it shouldn't have been skewed at all. It should have just been fifty fifty. But the fact that it was skewed towards males shows you that there was picking and choosing. Oh, for
1: sure. I yeah. mean that whole, illegal abortions happening. Yeah. But there was also forced abortions. Mm. Uh mm. so I didn't know about this, but um yeah, there's forced sterilization and forced abortions. Um oftentimes too in families that had more than one child, the second child or third or fourth were often undocumented. So this is still impacting people today. Like they don't, as they got older, they don't have, uh, you know, Document. access to documentation for like, if they want to go get, to go work or get educated. And what I think is interesting too, a big effect on this was, um, even though it's not an effect anymore, currently in China, um, the country has a population that has, um, like aging population rates. Mm-hmm. um. I think that's really interesting just it's a pact on society and something that needs to be considered i think it's one of the less intense uh issues that comes up with government population control but so
0: wait can you describe that a little bit deeper for me
1: yeah so um you know as the birth rates declined that means that there were more and this is happening right now in japan too just naturally without a policy but there's a bigger population at the top Oh, okay. than there is yeah. like children. And so this, like the workforce is shrinking. Yeah. People aren't able to retire as easily. Um, Less, you know, there's less care for the elderly mm-hmm. and um, it's just changing society in that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, yeah, that's
0: what I thought you meant. I just wanted to make sure, but yeah, just that there is a larger, older
1: population. Yeah. yeah. So, so also, I dove a little deeper into population control and, of course, the U.S.'s impact on population control in other countries um, mm. because you know that we don't stay out of all of this. Um, I mean, there's a, there's, there's so much if we really wanted to get into population control, but I did want to touch on um, – one thing is that there's a really dark history um, in the United States um, around the end of World War II um, when the population control movement began to build real – influence is it became a a way for white feminists to push for their movement alongside eugenics Whoa. and um and i hope i can explain this right but um i don't know if you've heard of margaret Sanger, so she is a famous u.s feminist and she's also a big pioneer of the birth control movement uh-huh. um she rose into prominence um after world war one she was really kind of at a revolutionary time she was advocating for a woman's right to safe abortion Mm -hmm. the u.s government was like she just didn't like her she was really she was persecuted for her beliefs um and potentially because of this um to further her movement she started her like work gravitated to becoming a campaign to campaign against the rights of working class women to have children because she said they couldn't she these people that are poor can't take care of their children and Whoa. so she was like became like this she was like working alongside like people that were for eugenics because that's also forced yeah sterilization or birth control right and so her movement just like became aligned with that she just I mean she's got all these statements saying things like you know these people don't have you know the resources or they are not educated enough they shouldn't they don't have a right to have children and
0: that's such an interesting turn because we think of you know i mean you and i think of feminism as like very liberating and very inclusive and just every every woman should be equal like it doesn't matter but that takes such a turn into evil ultimately and that like reminds me of
1: like world war ii stuff and like wow that's oh that's terrifying i'm gonna read a quote from her okay I believe that now, immediately, there should be a national sterilization for certain dysgenic types of our population who are being encouraged to breed and would die out were the government not feeding them.
0: Whoa. So, yeah. Holy.
1: <laughs> so, and this God. is where I, like, what is this? The 20s, the 30s. This is between World War One and World War Two when this kind of movement was being pushed. Um, this is a time when there was huge wealth inequality in the United States, And not just the United States, it was happening with, like, the capitalist West and the global South. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just a lot of, also, colonial revolution going on. There was a lot of strong nationalist movements. And this is when, in developing countries, birth rates started to also increase a lot. Um, So continuing from there, um, another interesting, you know, piece of history is, first of all, just, like, Nixon's uh, conditions on global aid – he is quoted to have said, in order for countries to qualify for aid, population control is a must. Population control must go hand in hand with aid. And he was, spe- um, you know, this specifically was being influenced in India mm-hmm. um, as population rates continued to rise there. So this was a new phase of population control. At the same time, just technology around birth control was getting better and better. And so there's just like this war against poor people started in these developing countries. There was just this hysterical movement in the 70s in india where forced sterilization like in order to like buy a piece of land you had to prove that you were sterilized this is male sterilization also wow Um, that's actually really interesting yeah so and this is mainly affecting like the lower castes in india the Mm. like poorest castes um people were like jailed for having more than three children children were expelled if their parents didn't uh submit to sterilization um, so that, yeah, was really bad. <laughs> That's crazy. And it was, uh, totally supported by the U.S. government. Just... So,
0: for the feminist, did, okay, so I guess that was the 20s and 30s. Were, was the government ever
1: in support of her? Oh, I really jumped ahead, didn't I? Yeah, they, well, I don't know if necessarily the government, I think, as it goes, just powerful people who believed in eugenics were, She was aligning her beliefs with them. And and because of that, birth control and abortion methods were like she was campaigning for that, but just with this really messed up attitude.
0: Yeah, that's so yeah, that's so interesting.
1: And so I think these are just some examples. China, India and the United States are examples of how population control when it's done by the government. I just don't see... Like I'm an advocate for proper policy, but I don't see how this could be done in a way that's not unethical.
0: Right. And I think that's important because you can say that there's overpopulation and you can say that all this is an issue and someone needs to fix it. But if you can actually come up with a way that government can do that without taking over people's bodies, then we can talk. But I don't see how those can go hand in hand, truly. There's just like, yeah, there's no way.
1: And it's hard because I think also looking at this research, there's a lot of philosophical arguments um, that talk about do we have a right to have more children? Um, There's this famous book that I was reading a little bit of by Sarah Conley. It's called One Child, Do We Have a Right to More? And she argues that at present, and I think she's – well – I I ho- would hope that she's talking about only the United States, but I I think she might just be talking about the world. But she argues that we don't have a right to more than one child, and she is proponent of government um regulation of this and policy that's in place to stop population growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I guess like from a surface level, I can see where that's coming from. I personally don't want to have kids from an environmental standpoint because of all this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 23, so I'm not necessarily deciding anything yet, but that's really where I am. Anyways. Um, <laughs> Personally. Yeah, <laughs> really into that. Um, yeah, it just seems like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like there's not a way this wouldn't be weaponized to where poor people would be impacted the most. Right. I mean,
0: yeah, because then you get into, and then it becomes a huge... um environmental justice issue because if we're doing it in support or to like mitigate climate change or mitigate resources uh resource consumption then there's no way like you just said that that's going to affect the top one percent it's going to affect poor people and yeah I just I'm trying to think of a world or situation in which it would affect people equally and There's no way with the people in power, especially right now with the people in power, how that would happen.
1: I'm just thinking, this is a little bit going on a tangent, but about like how also this impacts, this has an impact through race as well. Like all the stories of Native American women who were mass sterilized in like the 60s and 70s. And I just don't see how this wouldn't play out where privileged people are getting away with. Or, like, aren't able – like, Brad Pitt and Angelina and Julie, like, they have seven kids or whatever. And I know yeah. they adopted some, but, like, anyways, it just <laughs> – <laughs> like, I don't see how they would ever have to not be allowed. Right. Because that's not, just not the way our government right now works. And, so, and that's kind of the whole conversation about climate change, too, is – we've talked
0: about this before, but as the world burns, like, the top 1% can live on a nice – cool chilled mountain with their ac but everyone else below is gonna like perish like it just the top the top people will always be okay and this is just kind of another
1: um way of looking at that yeah um so another interesting thing is uh the idea of people who are going on birth strike um and i know about this because they uh, I recently went to a street fair in Portland that had a bunch of different booths from groups all over, you know, Portland or whatever. There's like vendors and stuff, but there was a birth strike group there and you could sign up to say you weren't going to, you were pledging to not have children because of the climate crisis. Um, I just think that's so interesting because (laughs) I think this birth strike movement is probably, it's people that are able to choose. It's like that choice. Right. And it kind of sounds wild and... You know, like unheard of in some ways. Like, I don't know. I just did, I hadn't heard of that concept. To, yeah. And it's yeah. specifically saying you're like, you're committing to it, pledging to the fact that you won't because you know that having a child is one of the most unsustainable things you can do for the world. For yeah. The planet. I want to dive into a little bit of why this topic of overpopulation and population control is so hard to talk about in the environmental movement. Um, mm. I think a big piece of it is like, we're young, we don't have kids, it's maybe easy for us to kind of, like, think about the idea of not having kids, but if yeah. I were to talk to, like, my mom about this, she would get really sad because then she's already had kids, she had me, and, like, I think once you've had children, like, it's hard for you to imagine, like, your life without them, you know, which is <laughs> obviously. Yeah, Um,
0: quick thing before we go back, Um, I just wanted to kind of talk about, like, I guess it goes back to the topic of, um like decreasing birth rates but for me I've always thought about like having just one child because at that point it is I mean I guess it's that whole like China policy of like you're bringing two to one or even if you want to sustain it at whatever you can have two kids and you're not increasing at all so I feel like sterilization isn't the answer by any means you can and I mean I don't think regulation is the answer by any means either but the fact of like forced sterilization is just There's so many better ways to go about it. I just want to say that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I I know we wanted to kind of, in a little bit, we're going to, in a second, we're going to dive into, like, what actual solutions could be for this. Right, yeah. But I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. That's all I want to say.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think just the conversation. I think there's, we haven't dove into this yet, but there's a huge side to this that is religion. Um. And there's already – it's already, you know, not necessarily a religious thing to advocate, a, you know, that climate change is a reality. Um, the Bible and, you know, re- like organized religion advocates for people to have children, to procreate, go right. forth, and multiply. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, the Bible also says to take care of the earth, and that's in <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I think – I mean, the Bible was written in a time where our type of consumption couldn't have been guessed. Like, there was no way for this to have been predicted, our world now, when the Bible was written. So, you know. Yeah, that's a whole whole conversation. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, but like, ultimately, there it. I have my thoughts about religion, but it's hard to place these rules. Especially when it comes to procreating while also taking care of the earth on us while we're in the situation that we're in that those who said and wrote and proclaimed these things um, couldn't have predicted for
1: us. True. Yeah, and I think I don't want – I mean – okay, back up. Um yeah, I just want to be careful not to like vilify any religion. Yeah, because religion, I mean, and there's I know some amazing eco faith organizations yeah. that do great work and advocate, and um, that's fantastic. And I think there's some, I mean, plenty of evangelical Christians who understand that the climate crisis is a problem. Um, so I think it's just figuring out how to balance it and again make it people's choice to have less children. Right. Um. I would love to really quick talk about how the way we treat the earth is parallels the way we as a society treat women. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, and I'm talking about through Western culture, uh, the way we view the earth, quote unquote, mother nature, um, we use these words like fertile land or barren soil um, which, like, devalues nature and it subordinates nature and it, you know, these are terms that are used to also subordinate women, um, you know, there's, there is, a, like, an immediate connection between nature and qualities that, as a society, we expect from women. Definitely. Um, uh, Definitely, though, I think that even, I mean, you said it, but,
0: like, the term mother nature, just, it's something that we've had in our lexicon for decades and centuries at this point, and you just, she provides, and yet we are... Treating her quite poorly. Yeah. And in the name of greed, too. And in the name of... Um, Conquest. Conquest. Is that the thank word? you. Yeah, or, like, conquering. Yeah. It was, like, yeah. We
1: conquer the earth in the way that, like, men are taught to conquer women. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh, I don't like I saying hate. that. <laughs> Ew, it's gross. It's a whole podcast episode. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, There's just, like, this beautiful and sad parallel between women's bodies and the earth, Um, we just, like, don't – I think, too, we don't value women's bodies as their own, and that relates back to this idea of childbirth. Um, And, again, I'm thinking from just, like, this American westernized policy perspective, um, in the same way we, like, expect the earth to provide for us. Right. And yeah, there's no choice there, and there's no respect.
0: Yeah, and just, yeah, taking whatever – we can to fulfill us it's a very male version or i like you know stereotypical male Mm -hmm. um patriarchal patriarchal view of how men should treat women and i think yeah it's it's ultimately it's angering but it's ultimately saddening and it's It's hard to process, almost, because not only does it bring up thoughts and emotions around climate change, it brings up thoughts and emotions around the patriarchy and how toxic it is and how
1: much it actually hurts. Which are all interconnected. um. Okay. So, I also would love to talk about the fact that trauma is internalized and... Bijou, I know that you know more about this, but if you could talk about the fact that how just like our the environments we're born into like changes our DNA, and yeah, the environments we're born into and raised in impact will impact our children and our children's children, etc. And so, climate change is a health, a human health, and a human rights issue because of that,
0: right? And I think, um, this is kind of what we wanted to talk about when we first were talking about doing this topic, too. And then we found so much more, but especially with this, it's literally the effects that climate change has on, well, like you as a person, and then also on your child while they're in the womb. So, um, a quick definition, word, time. So, epigenetics... <laughs> is the study of changes in organisms caused by modifications of gene expression rather than the alteration of the code itself. So, yeah, DNA in your body. It's in all the cells in your body. And then that's, like, what you're made out of. And gene expression is what... Oh, man, it's kind of weird. So gene expression is what the gene shows. So there are these things and they go to each gene and they say, you should show this part of this gene or you should not show this part of this gene. And so it makes sure that the cells that are, um, for your toenail are for your toenail and they don't end up on your eyebrow kind of thing. So that's just a little background. Um, I found some studies that were super interesting, mostly from the World Bank. Um, So studies found that one millimeter decrease in rainfall increases cortisol levels. This is specifically with like farmers and people who um, gain their their money from the land. So a millimeter decrease in rainfall increases cortisol levels, which is body stress hormone. Um, by pretty much a percent. And this can actually lead to chronic disease and like congenital heart defects in your child as well as you. So stay stress-free. So it kind of <laughs> ah. <laughs> try, try and stay stress-free. Um, when exposed to extremely hot conditions in the second and third trimester, there's a decrease in 7 to 11 grams in baby weight. Um, northeast Brazil showed that... Uh, Northeast Brazil showed evidence that a thirty one percent decrease in rainfall reduces birth weight by one point nine grams and likely uh, and likelihood of full pregnancy by pretty much another percent. So with these increased uh, pretty much across the board, increased temperatures decreases body weight because you can't your body doesn't go to full term. And that was that's been shown in so many different like studies across the world so it really does affect and decreased I'm just going off do it um decreased body weight like it leads to so many other problems too it leads to a lot of heart failure not heart failure but heart disease and just ends up you end up being malnourished generally and it's just such a dangerous place to be that's why you're supposed to go to full term um, and then, so with epigenetics, a huge part of that is um, stress and mostly stress. So stress affects your gene expression. So as you get stressed, so your epigenetics change over time and they can change with like big life events. Uh, pregnancy is one of them. Um, so when you get stress, that alters your epigenetics and then that... Uh, those don't get completely washed away in your child's DNA. They can, like, stay latched on. So your child inherits those stress gene expressions, which can cause, yeah, bad growth generally. Okay. Um... All right. I just
1: wanted to – I think the last thing we wanted to talk about was um, solutions to population, and we don't have the solutions, but <laughs> – Uh, We did want to talk about this fantastic organization called Project Drawdown, who they rank solutions to climate change. And the number six solution out of hundreds is education of women and girls. Yeah, And education empowers women to make the choice. uh, Education and family planning empowers women to make the choice of when they want to have children and how many children they want to have. Mm -hmm. And that's just so fantastic because it's such an environmental justice solution of empowering women especially in developing countries to, um, you know, make the choice when they want to have kids, which ends up reducing the world's carbon footprint. Yeah,
0: it's I mean, it obviously there are other ways to decrease. But for me, that's the number one thing. And honestly, it doesn't cost that much. It education costs one teacher and birth control condoms cost pretty much next to nothing. Like it's so easy to do. And the fact that we're not encouraging that is
1: um a shame yeah but again it has to be done in the right way of you know allowing again for that choice the not the forced birth control not the forced abortion but giving women that option and that isn't just i think it's more than just providing the tools it's also providing the education and not just to women but also to men Mm -hmm. and anyone um especially those in power right that Mm -hmm. we need you know this is the I think Project Drawdown estimates that um, Project Drawdown estimates that the solution would reduce fifty-one point four eight gigatons of CO two in the atmosphere. Ooh. It would cost, you know, they have they have costs. It's in the billions of dollars, but the payoffs are just astronomical mm-hmm. and incalculable about how impactful that can be on the world. Right, and I mean,
0: when you teach, you teach their children as well. Like that knowledge doesn't just stop with that one person. It- gets radiated out and that's super important and that's what makes the biggest change. That's fantastic.
1: All right, so I wanted to, you know, we wanted to leave you all today with a question that uh, you know, we talked a little bit about today. Um, we'd love for you to discuss this with your friends and family. Is overpopulation an issue and if so, what are the solutions? Right,
0: because this is what our topic Was kind of built off of we have differing opinions on overpopulation and so we wanted to break that down and we would love for you all to break that down as well
1: and we would love to hear your opinions on this yeah so reach out to us never mind (laughs) take that out take that out (laughs) we don't have fans yet
0: (laughs) specifically
1: no um (laughs) we should make an email we should okay um well thank you for listening we are so excited about this project we're so excited to continue this work of of looking at climate change looking at solutions and posing big questions and we're excited for our next episode as well
0: thanks for podcasting with me anna thanks for podcasting with biji thanks sergio thanks sergio yay Yay. bye Bye. okay We we got to
1: go hey everybody this is sergio thank you so much for listening if you haven't already, go check us out on all our social media by visiting our bio.fm profile at bio.fm forward slash fired up podcasts. That's bio.fm forward slash fired up podcasts, no spaces. I never thought I'd be saying that. Um, Promoting social media, I haven't changed my Facebook profile picture in four years. (laughs) Um, However, unlike my personal social media habits, we'll be keeping you entertained every two weeks from here on out, so look out for Episode 3 on Viewing Death Through the Climate Crisis, coming to you April 16th. Thanks so much.